Business Podcast. Proximity is power. Registration for our executive boardroom is still open. To learn more, click the link in the description of this episode. Welcome to the Game of Business. I am JP Paul, and today with me is Jake Cortez. Jake and I have never had the privilege of being in the same room together, but we, we, we are brothers anyway because we are platinum partners of Tony Robbins. And uh, I know that uh, in speaking with him, uh, Tony's changed his life as he has changed mine. We talked about how most people avoid pain to gain pleasure. And we talked about Jake's background is it's it's really interesting. For me, it's a little scary because I can't imagine my children going through it, man. But um, at 25 years old, Jake was faced with going to prison for the third time. Um, but something happened that shifted him. We'll get into that. But he's got 20 years of sales experience, which uh, he was selling relocation services and started crushing it in that in that area and was able to join the Platts. And he realized inside this this plat group that we were all in you're either in the wrong business you're in the right business or your personal life is screwed up he realized he's in the wrong business made some connections and ultimately led him to gain equity in a real estate investment company and his life and business has just exploded from there Jake, I hope I got that right. Uh, thanks for joining me man and I'm I'm excited about this phone this uh, conversation because inside of the Tony Robbins Platinum Partnership group um, some people show up more than others. And we connected as friends inside of there, probably just because I saw you or somehow, but then I see, see your life and what's going on. And so I wanna get into how you overcame this adversity. How does a young man at 25 years old, facing prison for the third time, become the successful individual you are now? And bro, I know you're not that old. So it's no. been a pretty, pretty phenomenal ride. So thanks for joining me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Jay Cortez here out of Miami, Florida. Um, so it's been a it's been a pretty eventful journey, <laughs> to to use the right words. At 11 years old, my my father did something probably fathers should never do. But you know, he sat me down on the couch. He's like, "Look, Jake, it's not working out. Me and your mom we're going separate ways. You're now the man of the house." And then he left the next day, and I have three younger siblings. My mother had been a homemaker for all my life at that point. So for me, it was a lot of confusion. And my, since my father is no longer there, I can't get any answers, which the confusion then led to anger, which then turned into hate, hatred, and then which just became resentment. And there's a saying that hatred and resentment rot the container that keeps it. And I was not privy to this at that age, nor did I have the, the coping mechanisms that would allow me to deal with certain things. I, I, my father was born in Cuba. He's like a you know, typical macho guy, like, hey, suck it up, men don't cry type of growing up. You know, Rocky came out. Me and my two younger brothers were over the sink reading raw eggs. And then next thing you know, we're in the living room with boxing gloves, duking it out. You know, he was teaching us how to protect ourselves and protect our family and protect one another. So there was social reinforcement around physical aggression. Now when my father was gone, I'm not going to my mother with my problems. I'm not going to my brothers and sisters because I'm the oldest, I'm the man of the house now. I'm not going to my friends, that's not cool. So what ended up happening is these bottled up emotions that I felt it was my duty as a man to carry started to manifest themselves in some pretty harmful ways, drug abuse, alcoholism, crime, promiscuity, and all of these other things that I, I wasn't conscious enough at that age to realize that these were forms of escape from the pain that I was feeling within. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so then what was the bridge to, to get out of this pain and finally and to actually seek pleasure, not just to avoid the pain? Well, so the saying is people will do more to avoid pain than to, to, to gain pleasure. So it's, it's not like, like, yeah, yachts and flying private. These are motivators for some people. But in most cases, people are doing more to avoid pain than they are to get that pleasure. 
And in my case, going to prison at 18 years old and then ending up in so many fights in there that I, I, was, I was reclassified as a youth to an adult and now I'm being housed with very dangerous adults and I'm 165 pounds soaking wet and these guys are at on average 200 pounds or more it, it it will it's it's an awakening you know when i when i was being transferred into that adult prison you know with the ankle shackles and the belly chain and all that stuff and i'm being escorted into a, a dormitory where there's a bunch of men in confinement cells and they're cat calling me like i'm beyonce <laughs> like I the internal monologue was like you really screwed up now like you really you really did it now look at you now and and but my mindset was one where you know like you're a grown man you're gonna figure this out you, you'll, you'll fight your way out of it which I did end up having to fight one roommate out of 16 different cellmates in the course of a year five of them had life sentences one of them had HIV but that year in confinement they're feeding me through a flap in the door i've got three showers a week you know monday wednesdays and fridays were the days i train because we take a shower so i'll do 500 jumping jacks 500 crunches uh, 250 push-ups 250 squats i'm doing all this in a six by eight cell is i realized that there's no such thing as boredom. Boredom happens in the mind because you haven't figured out ways to entertain yourself. And even in a six by eight cell, where I didn't have much to do, I still had the ability to train. I still had the ability to read. I still had the ability to think about things and visualize a future beyond my current state. I, I, I read the whole Bible, cover to cover, it took me three months. I would study the dictionary and learn 20 new vocabulary words a week and learn to use them in proper context. I took an intro to psychology. I would study sociology. I'd study books on universal laws. I would only read nonfiction. I created rules for myself. There was nothing about my experience that I wanted to add comfort. I didn't want to add any levels of comfort or any levels of making this feel like home. A lot of guys would put pictures up of their family. I wouldn't do any of that. A lot of people would smoke weed or drink buck. Like, you can get drugs. It's just like the outside world. And I wouldn't do any of that because I didn't want to trick my mind into thinking that this was something that I can create comfort for. When your body sends a signal that it's in pain, typically, conventional medicine will tell you, here, we're going to give you this pill. You're going to, we're going to silence the pain. But your body is sending that signal for a reason. It wants you to feel that pain because it wants you to address the root. But if you are treating the symptom, you can never address the root. And in my case, you needed to rip out the root and address and, and, the And so many people do this today. You know, most of my audience are male entrepreneurs. So what do we do? We sedate with drugs, you know, to get to sleep or alcohol to numb the pain or sometimes it's sex or porn addiction. There's all these things that we use that are tools to, like you said, m- mute the symptom, but the underlying issue is still there. You know, um, something that I, I, I teach people and tell people is the opposite of the truth is not a lie. Mm. The opposite of the truth is denial, mm. right? And when we deny those feelings, we do it by through forms of sedation. So. Mm. We're not wanting to face the truth, so we deny it. But the longer we deny, the more that we increase the pain. Um, one of the things that I wanted to address with you was this, here's this 18-year-old kid, and you're investing in yourself, in all these things you're pouring into your mind. Where did that come from? Because that's the most amazing part of your story to me so far, is this kid in the six-by-eight cell doesn't sit there and decide, Oh, motherfuckers put me in there. I'll show them when I get out, which is my hallucination that that recidivism is, is huge, right? So people aren't learning like you. And yet here you are going, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed my mind, not, not weed my mind. So doing a total of seven and a half years in prison, you know, 25 years old on my way back for the third time. You know, the first two times was like, why God? The third time it was like, it's not even why God, like what would you like for me to take from this experience was the question. Like what, what would you like for me to learn? You know, it's not when you're on boats hanging out with your friends that you're thinking about existential questions. 
about your purpose on this planet. It's not about when you're having a few beers, watching a fight, that you're really thinking about where you, what your purpose on this planet is. It, these, although I was young, I, God blessed me with the intuition and insight for me to do introspection and look at the, the, the painful experience, but from a vantage point of someone who's seeking enlightenment. Every ascended master, Jesus, Joseph, Buddha, all these people spend a considerable amount of time in solitude. Mine was involuntary, but it was solitude nonetheless, and I wasn't going to squander it. So the education was like, hey, you know, you're in prison right now, okay? Your mom raised you with good morals, good values, good principles. How do you keep ending up in this situation? You know, and I was, these are, gen, these are genuine questions I'm asking myself. Like, you have friends that were, do wor way worse things. But the answers came. It was the people I was associating with, the drugs that I was doing, the music that I was listening to. This is a big one. A lot of people fail to realize how huge this is. The, uh, the best way I can describe it is these musicians have sold their soul to the devil, and a part of their contract requires them to take as many souls with them as possible. So when they're like playing these tracks with like, they're saying codeine and all of these, anything that is said with a catchy beat over and over and over again, this chorus is, is a form of hypnotism. When Tony says you, you must stand guard at the door of your mind, this is one of the reasons why you must stand, stand guard at the door of your mind because I realized when I started to listen to the lyrics, and I would never use the B word in reference to a woman. I, in my household, it was my mom, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, my sister. We have four generations of women. I would never use the B word in reference to a woman. And then I, I'd listen to the lyrics and some of the music I was listening to. And I, when I became conscious, I was like, I, I can no longer in good conscience listen to music that objectifies women, that glorifies violence, the sale and usage of drugs. What was I doing? But it became... It's a cultural thing. You right. go to the club, this is what they listen to. You go on, you're on your way to you know, hang out mm -hmm. with some friends, this is what they listen to. So you run the risk of being uncool, but the acceptance with the cool people had me in a place where I was like, dang, I wish I would have hung out with the not so cool people. Because now and, the not so and cool then you, people and are then it, And now look who you're hanging with. Those people are a lot cooler than the people but for, and, and you can do all the same things. Sobriety is a superpower. You know? And, and, and I don't just mean that with drugs and substances. Like you mentioned the addictions. Porn. Um, you know, some people's go-to is, is anger. Some people are addicted to emotions that are not healthy for them. Some people are addicted to alcohol or addicted to TV. Anything that acts as an escape, that's a distraction from your ultimate destination. Because, you know, Ed Milet has said this, Les Brown has said this. Hell on earth is to meet the man you could have, been, you could have became on the way out. Yeah. You know, Les Brown paints this visualization where you're sitting on your deathbed. You know, and you're on your way out. Like, you are on your way out. You know, you're getting that flash across your eyes that 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 trailer of your life and around your bed is your talents your skills your abilities your god-given gifts that came and they said hey we came to you you didn't use us right. that would be hell so 18 in prison i gotta change what do i do so i changed a few things but i didn't change all the things i went back to prison for a fight in south beach I changed a few things, but I didn't change the people I was hanging out with. I said, you know what? I no longer, I created a rule for myself at that point. I no longer can afford nor have the luxury to hang out with people that don't have direction. You don't have any direction. I can love you from a distance. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. And then the third time, you know, it, it all happened kind of like in a rapid succession. Um, I got into an accident while drinking and driving and, and somebody died. I was 22 years old and, um, you know, out of all the 
the things that that transpired in my life that's definitely one of the ones that I wish didn't happen but it happened it's a part of my story it's a part of my journey and but one of the things that I can't say is that it led me to start speaking you know because I upon my release in 2011 I had to do a victim impact panel course here in Broward County I went and I went and spoke with the executive director of the Broward Safety Council and I said look I come from this side of the story. There were two women who told their stories. You know, one happened five years prior and the other one like 10 years prior. But for me to see these women making a choice on their own time, not being compensated, to share the experience of the loss of their children in, you know, drinking and driving accident. One, one of the child, like he dropped his phone, he went to get it, overcorrected, hit a tree and he died. The other one was T-boned in a residential neighborhood and, and she died. And But for me to see these women that have dedicated their lives to spreading the message that it's just not worth it, I spoke with the host of the, the event and I started doing speaking events with them. Okay, and um, so how did that lead lead you to the next step? You started doing speaking events, how did that lead you to the sales gig and then ultimately okay so in when i was 26 years old i bought tony robbins book with a pack of cigarettes incarcerated awakening the giant within i did everything that book told me to do write down my personal goals you listened to that in prison well i bought the book awakening the giant within you you, you bought you bought the book I in prison traded a pack of cigarettes yeah, okay cigarettes is common is like currency right yeah yeah I've heard I didn't smoke. I don't smoke cigarettes. Never did, but like people would give you the whole tray for a cigarette. So I was like, always had cigarettes, and so I bought the book. And more than the book, you know, you got Tony with his big teeth on the front page. You know, like he had like this radiant smile and just like this picture of a man that I could model. And when was this? This is prior to two thousand eleven, right? Uh, two thousand. Eight, nine, okay. 2008 or nine. Um, okay. And, and he inspired me. So, so this is the key, is that I was inspired by a, a positive male figure. By mm -hmm. reading the book, by like absorbing the words, take, intentionally writing down my, the vision that I had for my, my relationship goals, my business goals, my toys and adventure goals, my contribution goals, like being intentional. In that moment, I wrote down, do date with destiny. Okay. And I also wrote down, master the art of public speaking. Let me ask and, you, let me stop you for a second. Yeah, date with destiny. You have the purpose of your life? You still the, remember the, what it is? The, pri the primary question. So there's a primary question, but from that you have the, the, the purpose of your life. Did you, do you remember that at all? So the, the purpose of my life is to guide lost boys to become strong, honorable men. Wow. To, be, to guide lost boys to become strong, honorable men. I, I want to I go down lost. that path. I, I want to go down that path. I, I want to hear. So that's the purpose of your life. How is what you're, you're doing inside of work going towards that mission? And what are you doing inside that space? So a lot of these real estate ventures are going to afford me the time component that allows me, because I, I have a 501c3 and I even, I even created a 508c1a, which is a ministry, which, which I'm, I'm gonna, cause so you have the ministry, which is in the private sector, the 501c3 in the public sector. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm doing things in a way where I'm setting up everything infrastructure wise to be able to support this machine of impact because one of the things that drew drew me close to Tony is that he was impacting so many people's life he was you can tell he's very commercially driven but impact is a component and I, I wanted to model that where your impact is running like parallel or symbiotically with your commercially driven mission. So mm -hmm. the real estate doesn't have a direct correlation with the impact I, I, I seek to make, 
it does have an indirect one because you know when you're rich you have money when you're wealthy you have time and money so these real estate assets the way that i framed it is they're going to fund my liabilities plus provide me a surplus of monthly income that allows me to take a good portion of that and reinvest it but allows me the time freedom to pick opportunities because i desire to be involved not because i need to create a, a 501c3 and get a bunch of donations to live. I don't, I, I never wanted the mission to take the back seat of raising capital. So, you know, a lot of people, they have two missions. They have raising capital and the impact. So, uh, I speak in a juvenile detention center here. I have, I spoke for about like eight months consistently last year. And now I've created like a little, uh, like a little, like a little workbook for them to just utilize the same principles that I had, so that they can make better decisions. Because you said it earlier, the recidivism rate is seventy six percent. That upon your release, there's a seventy six percent chance that you will return within the first years, first three years of your release. And so your group, if I get this right, you're going to work with, are you talking about juveniles that you're work, going to juveniles work with to try and, yeah. you're going to try and catch them before they become career criminals? Exactly. Young, impressionable minds that have a positive male, like Tony was a positive male role, role model for me, mm -hmm. you know, and as you can see, like, I don't have a bunch of tattoos. I don't like have, you know, gold teeth or anything like this. I, I think that youth in it just caught up with the fuel of testosterone and friends and all of this other stuff. They make decisions that are permanent, that cause irreparable damage to their potential success. I had enough insight at that age knowing that, you know, I wouldn't be, I, I would be barred from getting certain licenses. You know, in, in some cases I'm barred from living in certain areas. I was... Uh, denied entry into Australia because of my criminal record. I don't know if you, you know, get the irony there, but like they were. Penal. <laughs> <laughs> I get it now that you pointed out. <laughs> it's it's a penal colony, and like you can't get in. <laughs> this is like they do what I was like. Well, I don't want to come anyway. You know. Like, <laughs> oh, that's great, man. That's that's mm. funny. So then, okay, so. I, I love that, man. I, I, I love your soul just because of what you're doing. I, I've got, you're going to love this. My foundation is called The Secret to Living is Giving. Oh, I love it. Imagine yeah. that. So you know where that came from. So it's The Secret to Living is Giving Foundation. And I set myself up with a challenge that um, the more I talk, especially to entrepreneurs like yourself on this group, the more I'm realizing that I am going to uh, mandate myself to do this. But um, I, I'd hurt my shoulder working out last fall. And I like I like lift, but I couldn't lift. It was just taking too long to heal. So I need to set a, a body challenge for the year. And so I went, okay, I'll ride 3,000 miles on my Peloton. I don't like cardio. I'm going to do 3,000 miles on the Peloton. I'm going to have less than 1,000 miles left by the end of this week. Wow. Okay. Nice. So, so now I'm like, okay, let's be done by the end of August. So I'll do 3,000 miles in eight months. But where I screwed up, man is in January, February, I'm riding this bike and I'm listening to David Goggins on Audible. Mm -hmm. You know David, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it hits in my mind with listening to all the crazy stuff he does. It's like, well, if I, if I do 3,000 miles in a year, why don't I just do 3,000 miles on a road bike and ride across America in 30 days next year? <laughs> and here's the thing. I want to raise a million dollars for my charity and, and get girls out of trafficking. So that's my, that's where I'm going. And so, um, and I was just, I just had a call before this where I was talking to the gal and told her, you know, um, I'm, I'm starting to get a little afraid now because I was going to start, I'm starting June 1 next year was the plan. And I'm like, I'm starting to doubt whether I can do it. And she said, that's just your mind. Your mind yeah. is starting to put up the barriers because now it's gone from this fantasy thing to reality where I've got entrepreneurs that have um, massive followings saying i think we got to change your speaker i'm getting feedback okay it was probably part of the setup better 
Yeah, I, that that's, that takes it off. Yeah, that takes it off there. I think your other speaker. I think when you log into this, you have to show uh, whether you're on headphones or not. So if you don't, okay. if you're not, oh, it, God, it, it God. echoes. Um, anyway, so um, I don't remember where I was going with that. Um, it's just oh it, yeah, just it's one. And so that's where we're, you and I are talking. It's the mindset. Your mind is designed to find what's wrong. And, and and keep you uh, keep you out of painful situations, right? So imagine I'm on a bike for eight hours a day for thirty straight days. What your mind, my mind, is starting to do to myself? Mm. Can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. You're too old. You're too old. You're too old. You know, you're gonna be fifty-five almost. I mean, it's gonna. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna be two months shy of fifty-five. So it's like, are 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 you fucking crazy? <laughs> no, I want to be. I, I like this analogy. There's a hundred people. Ninety of them are non-player characters. They're just drifting through life. Yeah. Ten of us design our life, and we and we do something uh, outstanding. I would say that's the majority of the people that are in Platt or the people. Not all owner. Not all business owners are like that. But the people that are consciously living their life, like I have a routine every morning. I I have. 10 promises I make to myself and I keep them and I score myself across fitness, faith, family, finance, and fun. Mm. And so, uh, and so I'm always looking to how can I be the greatest version of myself? Where, what you said, I heard that from Keith Cunningham actually. And that's why, so out of that 10, I want to be in that 10. Now there's one out of the 10 and that's the David Goggins of the world. I'm smart enough to know that I'm not going to be a one. But mm -hmm. I want to be in the 10. I want to be a creator. I want to be a leader that, that affects change, just like you are. You're in the 10. I don't know if you're a one yet. I don't know if you're going to be a, a one either. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's that Tony Robbins level, right? But if we can be in the 10, man, we, yeah. we can impact change in this world. Yeah, 100%. Like, if, if you think about it in terms of the blessing it is to be alive in this section of in the human time continuum right mm -hmm. like we travel back to year, 200 years in time and you give your ancestors this technology do you think they'd be keeping up with the kardashians <laughs> <laughs> the distractions are so so there, there's such an abundance of distractions that people lose sight of the actual capabilities of the technology that we have available to us i can connect with you uh, across the country i can do business with somebody in a different part of the world and have right. the transaction totally protected right so it's it's a matter of perspective and one of the things that you were saying earlier about you can't do this you know, and your mind starts to play that trick on you one of the terms that i learned while taking that intro to psychology was a term called relative deprivation. And it's a commonly endorsed theme here in American culture where you're comparing yourself to somebody who seemingly has more or is better off or looks more fit or has the car you want, the house you want, and vice versa. What ends up happening is that transaction of thought creates feelings of inadequacy, less than, unworthy. And I had this beautiful moment on my third bid where I was doing everything right. The other two bids I maxed out. Like you get, you, you can go home with 85% of your time. There's a, you know, if you do good behavior. And the first time I didn't care, I'm gonna max out my time because I'm more than likely gonna have to fight somebody. And I knew that. Second time I was like, I wanna go home, but I ended up in a fight and I maxed out my time. And then the third time, I'm like, I am for sure going home with good behavior. And the officer comes to my cell, they start searching things, and then they take me to the captain for no reason. Now, I'm standing there in front of the captain, and he's like, we're putting you in confinement under investigation. I said, for what? And he said, we don't have to tell you. Take him away. And they took me away, and typically they have to tell you. But at this point, you know, I'm property <clears throat> in the state of Florida, and I'm not, I tend not to try to make bad situations worse. I'm being escorted into this confinement cell. I'm probably 26 years old at the time. And my primary question, which God had blessed me with this, looking back, I didn't know this at the time, but my primary question was, how can I find meaning in this? 
How can I find meaning in this? That was my primary question. And that being my reticular activating systems like servile missile was, okay, you're being escorted into the cell and you're learning the term relative deprivation where you compare yourself to people that are better off. There's a lot of your friends that are free. They're probably enjoying their life. A lot of the people that you made fun of that weren't cool, they're enjoying their life. And now here you are in a confinement cell all by yourself, no books to read, no nothing, just got a mattress, a metal toilet and a sink. And then I said, what is the opposite of relative deprivation? Relative abundance. It's not a term they talked about in the book, but I, I thought, okay, let's say there's, there's 300 million Americans at the time. Uh, I'm gonna grossly overestimate and say there's 2 billion people uh, on the planet that are, are for, that are afforded the luxuries that were afforded here in the US, maybe in UK and some other. Okay. 2 billion people. I knew that that was a gross overestimation, but that leaves 5 billion people. Now I know not all 5 billion people would trade places with me, but I knew for certain that at least 3 billion people would want this mattress, this roof over their head, the air conditioning that's blowing through the air conditioner, and the room service that was gonna be delivered to the flap in the door. At least 3 billion people. So I was able to take a moment that could have been classified as one of the top five traumatic experiences and turn it into a moment where I had gratitude. That is one of the most amazing things that a 26 year old boy, essentially, because you still weren't a man yet. You didn't spend enough time out no. to becoming a man. So you're a boy. For yeah. you to come up with that concept, because it's that, that it was that shift in mindset right there that led you, uh, and my, I can just see it, man. I can see this guy going, hey, I mean, I, I've got this relative abundance. I, I'm grateful to be here. And when you focus on what you're grateful for, you can't feel the pain of your situation when you can find gratitude in the moment, right? 1000%. Suffering is a choice. Suffering, right. I could have suffered. And I, they kept me there for six days. I could have suffered. So do you, there, suffered. Are, there, are there times in your life that you sink into suffering at least for a moment before you catch yourself no. or for periods of time? No, I catch myself because my grandfather, you know, my dad was born in Cuba. My grandfather woke up one day and his business belonged to Fidel Castro. You know, he had a, re a, a restaurant and a toy manufacturing company. And one day he wakes up and he's an employee in his own business. Okay. Can you imagine if somebody just wakes up, like you wake up and somebody just took everything that you've worked for and how you feed your family and now you're an employee in your own business? I, I don't know what that feels like. I've tried to, th I've like tried to imagine what that feels like. Not from a place of like anything other than wanting to have appreciation for my grandfather's journey, for my lineage's journey. Do you think I have the luxury as a first generation American to sit here and whine about the things that I don't have when my grandfather risked his life three times to bring the family from Cuba to the United States? I don't have yeah. that luxury. Your audio went out. And it's, I see that. And, and it's still amazing that you're able to make that mindset shift. And so you somehow, you put that in place at 26 and now it's still part of who you are. And do, what do you do, what do you do to, um, to spread that message and, and teach other people what you do? Well, you know, the speaking events that I've done in the juvenile detention centers is I actually, I share with them how the change took place. You know, I created like a, an acronym, ARISE, where the A stands for accept, accepting responsibility. Because a lot of times when we put the, the blame, let's say if I, if I blame my father, you know, you left the family. The story I created as a child was that my father betrayed the family. That was the meaning I gave the event at that age. Like my father betrayed the family and, and you know, I, I held that against him for a very long time. My brothers still kind of maybe harbor a little bit of resentment, but I tell them for their own safe, like for their own well-being, it's best that, that they make amends. So accepting 100% responsibility for everything in your life. My, my dad made the best 
decision he could with the resources he had and what he thought was best at the moment. I, at 11 years old, buckled under the pressure of the weight of carrying the responsibility that I didn't know how to handle and eventually rebelled against the responsibility. Looking back in hindsight, I can see what happened, which allowed me the ability to have conversations with people in way, and reach people that most people can't just due to my life experience. And another thing is that I can have this conversation with you and be an open book and be extremely vulnerable. It doesn't make me any less than a man. If at any point in this conversation, I've, you know, I've, you know, uh, I was uh, emotionally charged and I cried, it doesn't, I, I don't, I, it, I have, I don't put any weight on how I'm viewed because this is just man's opinion. I will be judged on the way out by God. Nobody has any real say on what my character is. People can hold opinions. We're all humans, and I will never try to restrict anybody from having their opinions. You're entitled to your opinion, but it has no bearing on who I, who I am as, as, as a human being. You're on mute. I've got, I've got a couple little rugrats. Uh, it's summertime no here, so I've got a couple little rugrats running around out there, and I forgot to shut my door before we started. So I... Uh, I I, I've noticed in my life that, and somebody else had brought this up to me actually, that we have, we judge other people by their actions, but ourselves by our intentions. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Right? And so we intend to do something and we screw up. We're going to screw up, right? We're going to hurt somebody's feelings or do something, but they're going to judge us on our actions, not our intentions. And so we need to take some time. When you realize that, it gives you the opportunity to slow down and, and then consider what the other person was really wanting to do and get clear on their intentions, right? Um, yeah. Uh, a lot of the work with Tony has allowed me to... Uh, I, I consider myself an emotional ninja at this point. I was very quick to fight in my younger years, but I did have a moment, you know, in a confinement cell after fighting, all this stuff, like... A, a large part of my younger years was respect, you know, and if somebody disrespected me in that environment, it, it was fighting for your respect. But then I got to a point where it was like, you know, how many more of these people do I have to fight? And who, who am I seeking respect from? Will I see these people again? I probably won't. And then I asked myself, like, what does it mean to be a man? Because it's not this. And right. then the answer that came to me was providing and protecting your family. It's providing a, 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 an example, a strong sense of like foundation, right? Like, right. And I, I came upon that through introspection and my, my, my journey. But I also had to shed the edginess that comes with prison life. And I had to learn to become gentle again. And I had to learn to... It wasn't until I was 35 years old that I even knew anything about gentle self-talk. I knew nothing. I had a drill sergeant in my mind. Right. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of alpha males have that, right? We, yeah. we beat ourselves up. We hold ourselves to a standard. We, we can't, uh, we can't, then we can't live up to that. And then we have that negative self-talk that, that beats us down. Um, I still, um, I find myself uh, sometimes when I'm in the midst of, of something and I, I, uh, I have that negative self-talk. I drill sergeant myself still, like you yeah. say. I'm like, you, you know, I, I, do, I, I shout myself down. You don't believe this bullshit that you're telling yourself. Stop, stop being a baby. Pick yourself up and get, take a step forward. And, and the concept for me is as long as I have another breath, I have another step. That's right. Now, the sales stuff you asked me earlier, how did I get into that? I was actually in a work release center where you go to work, you make your check, and you come back. Like, okay. So I was still technically incarcerated, and I got a job with the largest moving broker in the country. And within my first year, I was able to make it in the top five of a room of 70 people, just because I would work from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m., Monday through Friday, and 10 to 4 on Saturdays. I'd much rather be at work <laughs> than I would there. Right. So there was no reason for me to stay there. So I just be there pounding the phones. But I also made a decision 
that because uh, my brain is always asking itself the question, how can I make this process more efficient? What can I do as an entrepreneur, as a salesperson to, to be more efficient? I never went by Jake. I was always, my, my legal name is Jacob, and I never went by Jake. But on the phone, I started going by Jake. One syllable, it's quick. Just everybody knows a Jake. And then, you know, State Farm came out with that commercial and it was really good for over the phone sales. So, <laughs> so I, I just would hone my skill set because there's 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 the, the book by Malcolm Gladwell, Tipping Point. You know, where they talk about 10,000 hours. But if you really think about it, it's what gives you mastery is 10,000 iterations. So like if you do something with the intention of making it as efficient as possible and whatever it is that you're doing is serving a client or how can you make the client journey more pleasurable when you're asking the right questions, it's the iterations that get you there because you could be practicing and crap all, all over 5,000 hours of the 10,000 hours and no real significant improvements have been made what did you really do yeah it's uh that the the concept of running enthusiastically in the wrong direction will not let you see the sunrise that's it right Um, and then so as the salesperson i knew because then i went to management i got offered an opportunity in management salesman your your approach is like i'm gonna beat you you know, I'm going to ride the, 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 the leaderboard. I'm going to be number one. I'm, all I care about is my numbers, what, what I'm making, closing deals. As a manager, you have to put your faith in the collective. As a business operator, you, you've got to manage KPIs. You've got to make sure all the right pieces. As a business owner, you, you've got the systems and process in place, and you've got the quality people that are managing the systems you've built, and now you're managing by the mathematics. So I didn't understand all of these distinctions, especially not the distinction between a business owner and a business operator. And when yeah. I joined Platinum Partnership in 2016, eight years earlier, I had that book in my hand. I, I love what Tony was providing. I never decided that I wanted to meet Tony. Like that wasn't a part of it. But like here I am in India, my first Platinum Partnership trip. And he asked somebody, like we were... First, I just want to tell this part of the story because it's kind of funny. My mom, okay. my grandmother thought I joined a cult. <laughs> I get that. I get my that first... from the outside looking in. <laughs> that mom. event, that event, I heard a story. Um, I don't remember the fellow's name, but um, we just called him Jesus. And uh-huh. he jumped jumped into the river naked at that India event. And uh, Oh, Ravi. I don't say his name, <laughs> I don't know who it was, but he got kicked out because he jumped out of the river naked and he jumps up in front of some gal who just lost her husband in the previous six months is like, the water's great. Come on in. <laughs> and she was like, you know, that's not good. And so they asked him to leave. But I thought that was, uh, it was, I, I was, I just got out, uh, the, the month before that event, that was my last day. So we were, we were that close to being crossed over. In, oh, in wow. that in yeah that's probably how we yeah. both know caleb yes caleb yeah he's very quiet yes you know, he doesn't really interact much but i really i told him i said dude you're the closest i've come to jesus in a human because of how calm he is how calm he is he never gets angry i worked with him he's got five kids i don't even know if he's 30 yet you know, 50 or more employees for a solar company, which I'm sure it's a lot more now. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it's just his demeanor and the way that he just moves through life. It's really cool. So my grandmother sits me down. She's like, tell me about this India stuff. You know, thinking I joined a cult. And I was like, I made a joke. And uh, my grandmother wasn't having it. And I said, come on, grandma. Tony's a Christian. So now I'm in India and Krishna Das is on stage and we're chanting Om Nashivaya. <laughs> you know, and I and I'm like first ten minutes, I'm like, you know, I'm in it. And then I like open my eyes and I'm like, all right, let's do this. Like when when am I when am I gonna start levitating? Let's let's go. Right? Like 
Because I've done nothing meditative prior to this. Nothing. Right. I did uh, Bikram yoga with my friend, which I wanted to strangle because I had no idea that it was hot. And I was sweating <laughs> like a stuck pig. And I'm trying to hold these poses, like these women around me. And I'm like convulsing like a buff dude. And, <laughs> and my mat turns into a slip and slide. Now here I am in India chanting Amna Shivaya after 10 minutes. Open my eyes. Like, what the heck? When am I going to start levitating? And then it was like a little still voice. It was like... Pay attention to the people that are on the side of you. Just do what they're doing. And then I just closed my eyes. And then I just started paying attention to the reverberations that were created in my body by the sounds that were creating. Not just me, but in cadence. Mm -hmm. So now 300 people just in cadence. And then after, after like 30 minutes, it was long. We were going. An officer's name comes to my mind. Officer Ward. Officer Harper. And then I'm thinking to myself, What? Why? You know, I'm in a peaceful moment. So when I was 18 on my first bid, I ended up getting into a, you know, a fight with another inmate. And they, they pulled me off of the guy. And now I have, I have no shirt on. And I'm being pepper sprayed by one officer while the other officer is on my back. And I have one arm behind me. And, I have, and I'm laying on the floor. And he's on top of me. And I have one arm under me. And he's shouting... Get your motherfucking hand behind your back. And I was like, there's too many all on me. And then I finally get the other arm behind my back. But like while I'm laying there on the ground, the other one is pepper spraying me, Officer, uh, Officer Harper. And what he's doing is he's getting it in my mouth because I'm gasping for air. So he's and I'm turning my head and then he's putting it on this side. And even Officer Ward says, God damn it, Harper, you spray me because that's how crazy that Harper sprang. And I've never been pepper sprayed in my life. They call this can Black Jesus because it'll have you screaming hallelujah. I didn't know, but I had an idea prior. And now I'm having this experience. I'm in handcuffs now and they take me into the laundry room. They have the guy that I just fought facing another direction, but he's in the same room. And then I'm spitting up blood. Now, I don't know that I need to go to outside medical because I hit my head on a bunk. I hit my head on a bunk and I have to get stitches. I'm bleeding out of the back of my head. I didn't know this. Because of the adrenaline. And the officer says, spit one more motherfucking time and see if I don't beat your motherfucking ass. Because I'm getting the blood out of my, like I'm just getting it out. And I just spit on the ground. He grabbed me by the arm and he punched me three times in the back of the head. And I opened my eyes and I said, break my motherfucking jaw and see how fast I have my attorney up here. I was 18 years old. I didn't have money for an attorney. I don't know where that line came from. It came out at the right time. He just went, he washed his hands. Now, the reason I'm telling you this story is Tony comes off the stage. Now, I'm telling, and he's like, is there anybody that would like to share this story? So, I, I now have the microphone. So, this same story I'm telling you, I'm telling Tony and 300 other plats this experience. And in that moment, if my hands were free, I would have done everything to protect myself. And it wouldn't have been good for that guy. It wouldn't have been good for me. But it, an insidious emotion of rage entered my body. Like, just this rage. Like, just like indignation that this person would do this while I'm in handcuffs. And they took me to the infirmary. I finally got to take a shower and all this other stuff. But I never visited that situation mentally, uh, in therapy or anything. like. I've never even seen a psychologist or a psychiatrist that I wasn't court mandated to see. I've just, I've just kept putting one foot in front of the other. So as I'm having this experience, it's like God came down and said, look, you've held this for long enough. It's time to forgive this man. That I can conceptualize at this point. But the following I could not conceptualize. You need to have compassion for his journey. And in that moment, forgiveness compounded with compassion unlocks something in me. And like what transpired after that event was just these ripple effects that went out into the world. And I got the opportunity to tell Tony that I bought his book with a pack of cigarettes while incarcerated. And he was like, dude... Gave me a big kiss on the head. And, <laughs> and it was a really, really awesome moment. But it was a moment of a young boy growing into a man that got to meet the man that he modeled after. So when I speak in the juvenile detention centers, I'm not trying to do anything special other than act as a positive male role model that has been through what they're going through, that has experienced trauma like they are. I'd say 80 to 90% of them come from fatherless homes. Right. And so then maybe, just maybe, some of those kids, this is their last stint instead of having to figure it out on the third stint. God willing. 
Right. God willing. Say this piece again, and I'm going to let you bounce here. Say your line about forgiveness and compassion. I want, that, that struck me as really profound. So. so I, at this point, understood the power of forgiving because you're not carrying something. But then when you can have compassion for another human's life experience, when you have compassion, like, for me, what happened is like, okay, I forgive him. But the compassion came and what it brought with it is this man is in a prison of his own. You are a part of his experience for a brief intersection in time. You had that experience. It makes no sense for you to carry any of this. Forgive him, but have compassion for this man's journey because it is a form, it's a different form of prison where these violent acts. And so my, in my, my violent outbursts or you know, gaining respect, what I realized later is I was not a part of the solution. I was a part of the problem. And in order for me to be a part of the solution, I have to step onto the other side of learning to have more compassion, to put myself in other people's journey, and to bring more humanity to situations. We're all humans. And since I understand how cruel humans can be to one another, having more compassion for the human experience as a collective would allow for us to all elevate because we're all really just connected having this experience together. Right. That was powerful, man. I appreciate your time, Jake. Uh, best of luck in everything that you're working on. Um, I'm excited to see what you do inside of your foundation in the coming years, man. Uh, well, I know you're gonna, you it's are me. impacting the world already, but it's even going to be more powerful, brother. And uh, I look forward to, to staying connected with you on some level and, and uh, being part of that journey, my man. Awesome, JP. Thank you. Uh, you bet. Have, Have a great day. One, you too. business family if you enjoyed or received value out of this episode please share it send it to a friend so we don't pay for advertising on this podcast that are strictly word of mouth and i would love the help to add value to as many business people as i can thanks a lot